Hey all, welcome to my beautiful luscious listeners and welcome to In Too Deep. I'm your host, Jack Rowland. Today we welcome back to the show the incredible Spencer Rose. Spencer is the creator of the highly successful online survival game, Hurt World, and has now reached his second incarnation as a conceptual digital artist. Over the last couple of years, Spencer has been developing programs that allow digital particles to interact with each other, manifesting as beautiful visual representations resembling some of the natural processes that make up our universe. Using multiple projectors to create a fully immersive experience, the viewer is guided into a journey of contemplation of the origins of life, the universe, and the interconnectedness of macro and microcosms. This project recently featured as an immersive installation at Festival 23 and the visual backdrop for the resident advisor stage at Pitch Music Festival. Spencer's work excites me a lot, and I'm pretty sure it's just the beginning of the full scope of this exciting project. All right, let's dive deep into the mind of Spencer Rose. Is there a point to all this? I think we're getting in too deep. You don't apply. Bad luck. Oh, I have one speed, I have one gear. Go, 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 go. Spencer, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for coming back on, dude. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. Of course. Got a, a little bit more structure to this uh, conversation this time around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening back to our other one, just like meandering through the ideas of consciousness and stuff. It was, it was pretty fun. That's a good way to do it. Yeah. It was cool because we were um, at toward the end of the chat, <clears throat> we were discussing the very, very infant stages of what has now become your just main, uh, well, your main project, what you do now. Uh, we were calling it the slime mold emulator or something. And I think I remember what looking at it on your computer screen and it was just this kind of super infant um, stage well before you uh, started your own studio or uh, had any kind of concept of it. And now just to see uh, what you've done with it in, I don't know, like a year, it's just phenomenal. Just absolutely like incredibly inspiring, man. Um, in awe of what you do. Seriously, it's just really, really, really cool. And you've just come off the back of, um, I don't know, just leveling up again and taking it to a much grander um, scale, doing the whole uh, visuals for pitch on one of the stage, the resident advisor stage for the pretty much the entire duration of the festival of that stage. <clears throat> um, so well done. But people Thanks, probably, oh, of course, of course, people probably don't really know what we're talking about unless they know you. So, um, yeah, could you maybe just let, uh, give us a kind of broad outline of your your new incarnation as a incredible innovator slash uh, digital artist? <laughs> could start start with the cube, or what do you what are you calling it now? Um, I'm not good at naming things. Hmm. Um, if, if it has a name, the, the work is no data because it's a, it's an algorithmic piece that I don't design any part of it. Mm. I, I basically create the, the conditions for chaos to propagate into something that, um, is in a direction that I like mm. and the, um, basically the, the foundations of it are a particle simulation. So a computer sim, a real-time computer simulated um, model of abstract particle physics, mm, mm. Um, which I, I kind of call it like 
the, the simplest way I can kind of uh, imagine it in my head is almost like a digital petri dish. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and um, it's it's not a new concept to do something like this. It's it's often referred to as cellular automata, which has been around since like the 40s, even before computers existed. Hmm. There were people doing it on pen and paper. Um, but as processing power of computers gets better and better, the complexity of the thing that you can model um, increases and there's... I feel like there's so much space for, to explore it. Um, it originally started as an exploration of the origins of life rather than an artistic venture. Right, but, right. Um, I, the, the more I discovered in the outcomes of those explorations, the, like, there's an enormous amount of beauty in simulating things like the origins of life and then sure. being able to map that almost, it's almost like, looking through a microscope at um, a digital version of the origins of life and then trying to capture little moments of that simulation, little snapshots through that microscope that have some level of um, connection to our our f- connection with life and how how we view ourselves and how we view our existence and the existence of life in general. Yeah, yeah. Every time I'm uh, <clears throat> experiencing your um, this project, whether it be at your studio, which you've got three um, three walls with three projectors, all uh, perfectly fit, so it's just fully immersive. Um, I always do end up going down some pretty kind of deep rabbit hole, uh, you know, just thought rabbit holes of uh, exactly like you're saying, the origin of life. Um, sometimes you think about viruses. Sometimes sometimes it'll appear looking like comets flying through space and then kind of almost almost like sperm reaching an egg. Like there's this real kind of existential uh, elements that really gets the viewer pondering the big questions, I feel. Um, so, yeah, it, I mean, just so people can kind of, get a visual I kind of explained it but you've you've built you've built a, a studio it's it's project it's kind of projection art or well it could be on a a, a, a big screen or a, any any way of viewing like digital art um, <clears throat> but you've you were kind of saying you are dealing with these particles and then assigning versions of the laws of physics attached to these kind of particles so just to kind of get my head around it and stop me if I'm misrepresenting it all, like <clears throat> to imagine it. I mean, say say you've got like 30 little particles or pixels or whatever on, on a screen and you assign all of those pixels like a law of gravity, like a law of physics, for instance, gravity or something. And then all of a sudden they will by themselves start possibly gravitating towards each other, maybe start orbiting, start doing a whole bunch of different shapes and dancing on their own accord. That would be like a super, super, super simple version of kind of what you're doing. Throw about, throw like 20 more different laws in there um, and a fuckload more particles, a fuckload more in information and you can actually start getting some really complex visuals. Would that be a kind of accurate description of what's actually going on when you're looking? Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, the... 
probably less on the side of 20 more laws. The laws that govern the stuff that I do is they're actually fairly simple. Hmm. Um, it's when you extend the number of agents in the simulation, so the number of particles that, and you get, you dial the settings in exactly right is when the real complexity tends to emerge. When I've tried to add lots and lots of rules and stack all this complexity on top of each other, I found that it doesn't actually increase the um, the outcomes that I'm looking for that much because mm. it's more like me trying to design for something rather than um, creating the f- sort of the fundamental things that enable feedback loops and data storage and um, interactions between the particles. Those interactions don't need to be very complex. Mm. Um, and it's just about scaling them up. So at the moment I'm working with, I just got a new graphics card, which means I can get to up to a hundred million particles in real time. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> and every, every order of magnitude that you go up, it kind of, it's kind of like stepping up from quarks interacting to like atoms interacting. Right. It's like quark, quarks will be very, very simple behavior, but at a large enough scale, the probabilistic interactions that happen between them start to form atoms and nucleus of atoms and um, force, more complex forces between um, like the, the macro particles that are formations of the smaller particles. And it's, yeah, that, that step up of, of orders of magnitude of scale tends to be where the the complexity comes from. Mm, mm. Man, when science meets art is, I think, without fail, the most exciting kind of art for me. It's just, <laughs> it's just, um, yeah, in incredible. We need, we need more geniuses to uh, be able to facilitate, you know, or make, make the complex ideas actually happen like yourself. Because I mean, these, I, I don't think like this. Like, I mean, I don't understand how you conceive something like this in the very early, early stages. I mean, what, how, what are the early stages of, of you developing this? Like, are you writing the software? I'm probably getting even the terminology wrong. Like what, what, yeah. what exactly is, how, how do you, how do you act out your creativity when dealing with, you know, software and technology and and inventing your own it's just so beyond me <laughs> well it, it started from a reference point of something that some other people were doing there was a research paper published um, on trying to figure out how this single-celled organism called fazarum slime mold um, could solve mazes without having a central nervous system uh, it's a very large single cell. It can get up to like meters wide. And the particles inside it seem to move around in this like breathing pattern, kind of growing like mycelial networks. But there's no no central nervous system to govern the arms of it to tell it where to go, but it seems to be able to solve complex problems. Um, and this paper published a model, a really simple model of simulating particles that seemed to mimic that behavior with really, really simple laws. And that all those laws were almost like an ant pheromone. A particle will leave behind a trail. 
that trail will slowly fade over time and other particles will try to follow trail. So they tend to form clusters. They form like main arterial pieces where um, lots of particles are creating a very thick trail. And depending on their turn speed, every now and then they'll chaotically punch out into a new direction where there is no trail. And then other ones will follow down that trail and it'll create a new branch. And that branch might not find anything. And then it'll suck back in, join back to the main arterial. And that... Um, that paper was grabbed by a lot of um, people like myself and explored. Um, and yeah, some people were creating some beautiful things with it. And so I, I decided just as an exploration to build my own version of it. And that looks like, um, because I'm a game developer, my tool set is game engines. So I wrote a... Um, compute shader that runs inside the Unity game engine and explored a whole bunch of different implementations but the to get the biggest scale with this stuff you need it to be running really really fast if you write something inefficiently it means that you might be only able to simulate 30,000 particles instead of 100 million mm. so you get a drastically different simulation so as a as a programmer and a game developer, I love that challenge of optimizing something. So I was gravi- I gravitated towards it to try to like squeeze the most, the most performance I could possibly get out of the simulation. So it sort of tickled my technical itch. Mm. Um, Is that just upgrading the hardware that you're dealing that you're using, or how how are you? Uh, it's it's a lot to do with the architecture of how you implement it. Right. So. It, Everything I do runs on a GPU, on a graphics card, mm-hmm. which is that originally designed for rendering graphics in games. The the hardware of them is really good at running insanely parallel computations really, really quick. So if I was to do the same thing on the main, the CPU on a computer, I, I sort of cap out at about 30,000 particles. But right. GPUs are so fast at doing specific tasks. If you if you program them in a certain way, you have to change the architecture of how you design things. I can't just get one particle to talk to another particle because they're happening concurrently on separate parts of the hardware. They all need to talk to the, the deposit layer that they're um, communicating with. It gets insanely technical, but once you... Once you implement it in that architecture, you you just get this insane amount of performance that is un, uncomparable in any other way. So this, being able to think like that, being able to read this study and then try and see whether you can actually uh, copy it or or do your own version of it, um, <clears throat> like how how do you how do you even know that you have the skills and ability to do that? That all comes from. I mean, is is it quite similar to uh, all the knowledge and stuff that you've accumulated through, through creating your own video game? Is it is it quite a similar kind of process? Yeah, yeah. Um, right. Like I, I hadn't worked with compute shaders before I started the project. Um, but the the fact that it is a challenge and I don't know how to do it is kind of the thing that attracts me to it. Mm. That's um, like, it's just so funny how different people's brains work. Like I, that just... <laughs> It just scares me. It's like, <laughs> fuck, that's just way too hard. Whereas you're just like, no, that's that's where I need to, that's where I need to move in toward. Well, it's it's, it's being process driven rather than outcome driven. Mm. Like, I, because of 
my time working on Hurt World, my video game, um, I had to spend like six or seven years very, very outcome driven to make that work. And I'm, t- I'm classically a very process driven person. Like I, I, w- I was building my own game engine because I enjoy the technical challenge to make my game eventually, but I got so distracted by the process of making the engine. I wasn't really focused on making the game and I, I had to flick a switch to kind of say, all right, stop wasting your time doing this. Use mm. someone else's engine. You're going to be able to create a product faster and you're going to be able to ultimately create something useful rather than just enjoying what you're doing. Right. And this project was me switching gears back to say, the, the reason that I love what I do is because I give myself that time to just just love just coding and just mm. exploring something really technically challenging and not caring what comes out. Mm. And I needed to do that to to sort of reset the burnout from Hurt World and this this was a good a really good combination of using the skills from game development but not doing anything relating to games because I was a bit burnt out on that. Mm, right. Yeah. So what what are the I mean uh, yeah the beauty of something like what you've created just a petri dish a digital petri dish of particles reacting to each other and al- it almost seems like in a weird way micro world building you know it is kind of playing god it very much feels like this playing god kind of uh aspect when you when you're experiencing it and and following the the changes that you're making and seeing the results um <clears throat> Uh, what are some of the interesting results that you've witnessed? Because uh, like early days we were um, hanging out in your custom-built studio um, and watching them and it was very much kind of how you explained it before when you were reading that study. Like these torrents of streams, they kind of look like blood vessels or something. It like had this real red color um, it looked like liquid moving but there seemed to be some kind of intelligence behind these streams and they yeah little arms would branch out and then they decide to all come together and stuff and um, it seemed to be sit in that kind of just visual aesthetic for for quite a while I often got a real kind of yeah like river system slash blood vessels traveling through a body kind of feel but it seemed super quickly uh, the results started improving and going in uh, a number of different really interesting directions and different beautiful color palettes thrown in there and and just um yeah like 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 I was saying earlier you posted one that looked like a mix between comets flying through space and maybe like sperm hitting an egg kind of thing and it just really made me think of this beautiful conceptual micro macro origin of life and what the hell are we all doing in this physical space that, <laughs> that we call reality uh what, what are some of the interesting results that you've kind of been able to play with um su- surprisingly the the biggest innovations with what i was able to what came out of the simulation a lot of them were bugs like right trying to write a piece of code and it not behaving the way that i want it to because 
I've written a variable wrong or something like that. And it causing an interaction that I didn't plan, but I really liked the, the result of. And so then I would explore the simulation in its broken state. And a lot of, a lot of finding these things is being really patient with um, the simulation in a state and exploring because there's, there's a lot of inputs to the simulation that I'm, I've mapped to my controller and one setting might will look one way, but there's like thousands of different expressions that you can get out of a simulation, a piece of code with different inputs. And um, it's only through sitting with it for days and just slowly tweaking it and looking through all of the expressions that something can have that I find the... I start to kind of like glimpse little explanations for why behavior is happening. Mm. And then sitting with it enough and treating it literally like a microscope to try to understand what what the organism that I'm looking at is doing. It, after a bunch of time, it gives me the insight to maybe write some code that will enhance that behavior. Mm. But it's there's so much chaos happening. It's really difficult to get your head around what the hell's happening in front of you. And a lot of the stuff is just like bugs and brute force that creates some behavior. And then I have to, I really like the behavior and I don't want to lose it. So I will have a button on my controller to enable a bug that I wrote accidentally like six months ago. And now forever that bug is now a piece of code that I need to keep with me if I ever want to create that expression again. And so the bugs are the, almost the gems of like absolutely. <laughs> unpredictable beauty. <laughs> that's probably how our evolution works in a way, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just the like unnatural selector to say I like, I like the outcome of this mm. and I'm, I want to go further down that rabbit hole. But very rarely is it like I want this behavior. I'm going to write it and then the behavior comes out. And I'm like, yeah, that was sick. Mm, it's mm. usually just mash mash millions of particles together and see what happens and try to explain why it happened if I like it and then try to add some fundamental interaction that enhances that behavior. Does mm. creating this and watching it start from its very infancy and, you know, it does kind of parallel you know early days life possibly in a you know a new neo digital kind of way but sing, like you're talking about that uh, experiment with the um single-celled organism and it would seem to f figure out complex uh uh tasks but it doesn't have a nervous system it, it doesn't have a you know like what has it Developing this and watching how things behave and then trying to figure out how to reverse engineer what, what caused that behavior, has it helped you understand the building blocks of life or um, have you had any kind of revelations about, I don't know, like what, what is that intelligence that's, that was enabling that single-celled organism to, to get through that maze? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I, I see the world differently now. Really? With... Like I, I see interactions and I, 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 I explain things in, in my head and I try to explain them to other people using visual references of, 
Um, any example of that behavior in something that the particles have done? And the thing that most excites me is the fact that there's this almost fractal nature of um, certain interactions that happen at like massively different scales from like fluid mechanics to crowd um, flocking behavior and bird flocking behavior where there must there, there's some like common tool that math uses or nature some some common math that nature uses at different scales that is an optimal strategy for creating some behavior that just exists everywhere and um that yeah i feel like it once you can sort of look at that you can spot that same pattern across different scales it you start to get a better idea of the boundaries of it and how it works and when you can spot that pattern in nature you can sort of be like all right that's that one i i know that it's probably going to have all these properties about it Mm, mm. and it's it's not something that i fully get my head around but it's it's like grasping at these these little clues as to the computational nature of physics and nature from the quark level all the way up to like entire ecosystem level mm, yeah so what has it how has it made you view the world differently and i suppose i'm kind of getting at uh what's your relationship to thinking about ideas such as well god or an overall intelligence that's in the fabric of nature itself or uh or is maths the universal language or is uh well yeah do you have any kind of thoughts on the the essence of what was making that single celled organism figure out a complex puzzle? Yeah. Maze? The, the fact that there seems to be this convergence of um, computational like processing that happens at so many different time scales. Um, I spent a lot of time trying to understand consciousness and figure out what's happening there. Mm. And um, the idea of like panpsychism where consciousness kind of exists at all levels on everything. Yep. um, I, I find myself leaning more towards that from looking at um, this phenomena that I've experienced with my simulations in that almost no matter what I put in as the interactions between the particles, they seem to quite often converge on the same behavior. Mm. And for a chaotic system to converge back to um, being... I'm not sure what the word would be like homogenized, um, homogeneous like behavior across the system that, that's 
quite ordered and structured that and if you ha- you can only do that when you have a large enough scale of of agents so if you if it's like flipping a coin once you've got a chaotic outcome if you flip it a thousand times you've got a very very predictable outcome the same thing kind mm. of emerges with a bunch of particles bouncing around interacting with each other if you if you make that large enough you look at like a fluid a fluid is so many individual subatomic particles but together they just form this like uniform liquid and the fact that that convergence of like going through chaos and then the chaos creating an ordered state and that ordered state creating a structure that is has enough complexity to create new chaos between that in like chemistry or something like that mm. um that if you try to look at our universe as like a computational system that there are these kind of like checkpoints where the all the complexity that happens underneath that point can almost be abstracted out to be simple because it becomes ordered and at that state of ordering something the the like the the computational um work that's being done on that ordered system could almost be looked at independently of all the other things that are happening underneath. And that seems to give me, there seems to be arrows pointing towards there being some level of like simplification that happens throughout the different fractal levels of computation. And Mm. all of it's like, I'm not a physicist. Um, I haven't really studied computational physics stuff at all this is all just like doing my own experiments and seeing stuff and trying to figure out what the hell's going on Mm. um but it's just like arrows pointing in directions that maybe here is a place that i should spend more time thinking and try to understand what the hell's going on here yeah and it's such a massive topic and there isn't that much stuff i can read about to try to understand it Mm. and the stuff that is out there is very 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 academic and complex um but i find it insanely fascinating and there seems to be some magic there that definitely is man there definitely is magic (laughs) (laughs) it's like yeah man you're not you're a natural you're a natural born scientist just by nature really i mean you may not have the scientific degrees but i mean that's uh yeah i mean it's incredible uh do you do you ever feel like, so we've had a few times where we've been hanging out and you've been, you know, jigging the settings and we've been watching this beauty unfold and these different colors and patterns and torrents and shapes kind of emerge. And sometimes we'd be talking and, you know, a few people around talking shit and maybe like 20 minutes goes by and then you look and it's just, it's developed so far beyond where you left it you you know there's quite a few stages that you weren't we weren't keeping track of and it just looks completely different i mean now now that you've been playing with it for and advancing it for i don't know quite a while now for a few years i mean do you ever get the feeling this might be a a bit of a dumb question but that some form of life could emerge within this complex kind of (laughs) 
like world that you're building because when i when i look at it like like i said it seems like a petri dish and all these particles are just kind of getting on and they're they could be battling or they could be cooperating or or how whatever they're doing sometimes it's more chaotic um and at festival 23 you had a you had a a room designated for just just this installation and um it was incredibly beautiful uh and joshkin was kind of playing with the controls when i was there and he let me have a bit of a go and i i I felt like really intimidated i felt like i was in charge of this world (laughs) and i didn't really know what i was doing i felt like it's it felt like when you're when you're behind the um the controls it's it's almost like a god emulator like a god simulator (laughs) that's kind of what it feels like it's like okay this is a complex world in front of us i think you had sound linked to it so that would react depending on tweaking the 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 knobs and and um and settings and you know if i would tweak it a bit too far in one direction it would actually start getting quite chaotic and then the sound would go quite fast and chaotic and sometimes it would seem like it was this beautiful harmonious space where the colors were all getting along and then I would jump on board and I'm just kind of fucking up this world that was going fucking crazy. It looks beautiful and cool in its own way, but it was not relaxing. It was not serene. It seemed more like a more like some solar flares had just exploded this beautiful world. <laughs> do you do you get a feeling of worlds developing and if if you were able to get a bunch of scientists and make this as complex as you actually want to? Could something emerge, something bizarrely? Because, I mean, that's what life is, right? It's, it's different systems getting more and more complex. Just the complexities uh, start working within their own self-interests and then different abilities emerge, detecting light, moving away, moving toward the, the, the threat. And then somewhere in that crazy um, soup of life came consciousness. Um, I mean, we don't even have to go quite that far to the point of consciousness, but could these particles get to a point where they're self-regulating and (laughs) trying to destroy threats and try and work together and things like that? Or is that a giant stretch? That's that's kind of the dream. Um, Mm. It's... Is is there any reason... I don't know how feasible it is um, from a computational standpoint. I think... We, we're kind of grasping at the origins of life. Mm. Um, we understand life once it exists. And uh, I think we, we have most of the understanding to simulate the building blocks of life, to simulate proteins and um, like basic self-constructing cells. Um, if we cheated a bit and kind of skipped over some some parts that are far too complex to simulate we could we could do something like say skip over how the attracting and repelling forces of proteins work and just say if a protein is in the proximity of um oh another protein it's going to attach in this way. We just skip all the physics of that and we just say that they're attached to kind of speed up the process for so that we can do 
these sort of things at the scale that we would need for life to emerge. Um, I think it's totally feasible. All the building blocks are there to simulate a system with the first step is having self-replicating um, structures. And if a structure can self-replicate, then you have the persistence or the copying of an idea of a gene or something like that. And once you have that, you can have the um, sort of, if something survives, then it's fitter than the ones that don't survive and then being the building blocks of evolution. Um, and if you were, if you wanted to just simulate and that's, that was your only goal, you could probably code a system where you sort of you build a structure out of some fundamental particles that are cheating a little bit that have all of the building blocks of life already in there. Because in our, in our universe, we know how life works. We don't know how it started. I think to go from a just raw particle simulation for life to emerge um, emergently, that's a whole nother kettle of fish because we don't even know how that did it in our system. Yeah. And we have almost infinite processing power in our universe for that to happen. Um, but the... Yeah, the bottleneck being computing power, it, it seems the further we go down in the laws of physics um, through quantum physics and um, subatomic particles that the rules keep getting, they seem to get simpler and simpler. Hmm. And I don't think it's going to be a matter of making something complex enough to support life. I think it's probably going to be we'll eventually figure out some really, really basic formula for like one type of particle that interacts um, in a really simple way to to form the larger structures of the ones that we know, and um, but the the amount of processing to go from that scale to life is probably unfeasible with our current, current systems. architectures. Maybe quantum computers could do that in some incarnation, but. Um, I think something that is achievable is like creating, get, getting some sort of self-replicating structure. That's that's kind of that's one of my goals is creating a system that would support a thing to copy itself. Mm. And this is this has been done before. In when I talk about like cheating and skipping a few of the building blocks, um, the, the system that popularized cellular automata was um, Conway's Game of Life, which was made in the seventies. Um, and that is just a two-dimensional grid. It looks like an Atari game or something like that. Um, and the pixels are either on or off. And there's a whole bunch of rules for each pixel given one state, given one frame, the rules that will govern how it will change to the next frame, which is like how many cells around it are on or off. Um, and that game has been mathematically proven to be a to be Turing complete. So like a universal computer, you can actually build Conway's game of life in Conway's game of life. Mm. Um, it, it has um, the ability to create um, const universal constructors. So objects that copy themselves. Um, the objects that are being copied are like a, a triangle of six pixels kind of thing. But right. the, it's it's an experiment in saying if we um, we, we probably can't create our universe, but 
But if we simplify our universe and we try to understand what the fundamental building blocks are in a way, 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 way simplified form, maybe it has the same rules. Maybe it has the same properties and maybe there is some level of universality between one universe and another as long as it has a few basic properties. Mm. You, you said before we're really good at... Um you know, understanding life, but how life came to be is still a total mystery throughout this kind of process. I mean, do, do you have any thoughts on speculation? I know, big question. We're not, neither of us are scientists, but, uh, you know, even if it's stabbing in the dark, I'd be very curious to kind of just hear your thoughts on, I mean, what, what do you think was the, was the jump between, you know, just a big mishmash in the early stages of the universe crashing together of just... <laughs> physics soup and then and then um life emerging do you have any thoughts on why that was necessary um whether it's necessary is a different question but uh, what what i think happened was um i think there's been lab experiments that create proteins from basic um particles basic atoms um by just mashing them together hard enough or maybe it was having them constantly evaporate through some chamber and you end up with part with proteins there when you didn't have proteins there um how yeah how the very first self-replicating structure emerged from that is a bit of a jump um but it's probably just a matter of some 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 organization of proteins won the lottery and there was just enough of them at scale for a long enough time for billions of years um but it it seemed to happen fairly quickly i think it was like a billion years after the planet formed there was the first single-celled organisms then it took another four billion years to get to multi-celled organisms mm, right um so in the scheme of things the first cells kind of happened fairly quickly so um yeah i don't know it's a lot of speculation there's way more qualified people yeah. talking about this stuff and <laughs> i'd probably just be echoing what i've heard them say but right 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 <laughs> um so less less deep questions um tell me about you know, you, you, you've been able to kind of upscale this project super quickly. I mean, I was saying before, some artists take 10 years to kind of get the, the kind of opportunities that you've just started getting now, which is like just goes to show how incredibly powerful the, the concept and the, the, the piece is and, and just how, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. It just stands on its own two feet. Just it's absolutely deserves to be getting more more attention even than it has now but i mean tell us about um maybe either festival 23 or actually maybe even pitch what you've just come back from a week ago uh i mentioned before you were running the visuals of an entire stage uh for the whole duration of the festival and um and also just how what how was it seeing people react to what what you've created yeah, it's it's pretty crazy putting it in different situations because 
in the development process, I didn't really have a strong idea of what I wanted to do with it. And mm. um, I've kind of just said yes to every opportunity that comes along to experiment and see, does this work at a, on a massive festival stage or does this work in a museum or does it work in a immersive space? Um, and yeah, I've, I've always been surprised at, like this is it's some quite nerdy shit that I get into, hmm. and uh, like my connection to it is something very very deep um, that I I wouldn't expect other people to really connect with because it's I, I feel like it's something that's sort of in the weeds bit, built <laughs> yeah built over a long period of time of me staring at it and like seeing the nuances in it and I'm surprised at how many people come up and they just they get they connect with the thing that I'm really putting into it or the thing that I connect with most from it, mm. from even in an environment where it's like on a massive stage behind some really hectic techno, they come out and they're like, I forgot to dance a bunch of times because wow. I was just like lost in like thought about this stuff. And that is really exciting to see how much people connect in the same way that I do, regardless of the context I've I've found through experiencing it and, you know, particularly uh, Festival 23, if I've been, uh, you know, tweaking my own consciousness a bit, <laughs> it's um, it's like it's not only a, a, a fantastic piece of art, um, but it's also it feels like a tool to kind of um, stimulate thought almost. I, I suppose art kind of is that anyway, but this particularly, like it does – make me contemplate quite instantaneously things like the nature of existence, the nature of life. Um, what are we doing on this earth? What are we doing in this universe? Where are we all going? It, it does kind of stimulate those. Uh, it's, it, it brings those thoughts out of me um, where, you know, it's, it's quite difficult for an artwork to, you know, people hope that an artwork can do that. Uh, many do, many do very other things, stimulate emotions and whatever. But um, I feel like it is a, it also acts as a, as a really great tool to get people thinking. Um, did you, did you, maybe Festival 23 where you were actually in a bit more of an inti intimate environment. So the, the space was probably a bit bigger than the, probably twice the size of the living room that we're in now. So you could probably, I don't know how many people you were able to get in there, but pretty close you're, you're able to watch people tripping balls and being immersed in your world so what what are some of the reactions are, are people are people really kind of going deep <laughs> like you hope like you hope it it does yeah absolutely um there were some people that were in there for most of the festival like mm. like eight hours at a time just really sort of lost in it <laughs> that's that's massive <laughs> i uh, definitely got like lost in there for a <laughs> good few hours <laughs> and that, that, that's something we've been doing for years since i first built the studio mm. um and that was the first opportunity to give people proper like long like spend a lot of time with it and i've always i've always wanted to present it in a way where it's not the center of attention i like it being the almost like the wallpaper right um that you coexist with like a fish tank you don't sit there staring at the fish it's, mm. but it's presence sort of changes the atmosphere of the room totally um that 
if you it's it's not stimulating enough to entertain you to take your full attention but to exist with it it kind of puts you in a in a state where whatever whatever your whatever it's doing your it, it creates almost like a context or an atmosphere for your for your thought mm. and um yeah i find that even like the people that i wouldn't expect to get into that state seem to get into that state and it's a great um catalyst for deep conversations about the things that i i'm excited about <laughs> yeah i would just love to see this thing upscaled to something like loom or i really think that it has the potential and you know the thing, kind of things that you're working on have the potential to be like in a, a Melbourne version of Team Lab. I don't know if anyone out there knows much about Team Lab, but they're like a Japanese collective, I believe, that just do these incredible uh, multi-sensory experiences, a lot of projections. And I was in Japan and um, <clears throat> I went to one of their ones called Planets, which was an entire massive uh, warehouse. And every room is is just different. And like one room, uh, we were crawling, crawling through this squish. The whole floor was like bean bags, and it was real deep, so it was really difficult to get through. Then another room, you're, we're, you have to take your shoes off, and you're walking in knee deep water that seems to have like milk in it, so it's opaque. And then fish are projected from the from the top down, and it's just as as you go through these different rooms, just the incredible different. I don't know. I've never I've never experienced any art. Uh, experience like like that team lab one in particular but i just could totally see this going in that direction um last time we spoke uh we'd actually hung out for majority of the day and we'd actually already had a pretty thorough conversation about hurt world the video game you've made and i was wondering whether you wouldn't mind uh going into it a bit yeah so i didn't touch on it last time very very much um, but I was wondering whether you could go into it a little bit now because uh, what you're currently doing is building worlds on this microscopic kind of level. But if you kind of think about it, Hurt World is its another version of you playing God. You're actually building macro worlds. <laughs> I feel like that's what your art practice is. It's like you're just figuring out different God emulations that you can <laughs> play with. But I mean... You know, on, on another on another scale, you're you're literally building uh, physical worlds in the digital space, of course, so not actually physical, but large things, and you can watch players walk through the the cliffs, the mountains, the whatevers that you've built. Um, that must be a, a whole other experience of just watching that flourish. Um, can you just give us a quick little spin on what Hurt World is and and how it came about? Sure. Um... So Hurt World's a survival sandbox. So we call it a sandbox because we don't really tell the players what to do. Um, it is like throwing 150 people on an island and which is about 10 kilometers by 10 kilometers with a lot of environment things that are going to change like temperature and predatory creatures and resources and um most of the world is just nature to begin with and we give players the tools to interact with it in interesting ways and in to, to interact with each other 
Um, so the main the main goal of it is to give to create the kind of the tools for emergent gameplay to happen that every server is going to play out differently so a, a server is like a shard of the game where um, you play on your server and that's that's where your home is and if you play on a different server you get a completely new character um, so what ends up happening is you you start off cold on a beach and starving and you, you need to find resources so you don't starve to death or freeze to death you end up building a campfire maybe building some clothes hunting some creatures eating sorting out your basic needs in the initial um, moderate climate and then once you've got that under control you can kind of start pushing further out into the world and taking on harsher climates and harsher creatures and eventually building bases and building freeform structures and um, vehicles and like helicopters and weapons and assault rifles and um, whatever it is that you choose we try to create the tools to do that and um, the if you were playing in a server by yourself that's kind of how the project how the progression would go but because you're in there with hundreds over 100 other people um, your plans quickly might be ruined by someone else who sees that you have something and they want to take it from you so we give proximity voice chat to everyone so you can run up to someone and talk to them um, and that creates this dynamic of kind of like if you're in a trying to survive the apocalypse and you everybody's desperate and mm. you come across someone and you're trying to negotiate whether they're going to kill you and take everything you've got or whether there's someone that you can cooperate with and work towards um, building a community or something like that. Mm. So that negotiation process happens organically in the game and um, because anyone can kill you and take your stuff, there is a lot of risk in trusting someone and um, so you end up initially when you're starting to play the game everyone plays by themselves and is very fearful that people that the, the, the servers last for weeks if not years on end wow. where all of the all the data is stored your base might stay there for a long time your, all of your assets stay in, in the server um, that larger structures of people emerge so you end up getting clans of people that we generally find there's usually three large power groups in per server um, and those people will have massive wars with each other we give the tools to be able to blow into people's bases and steal all their stuff and it creates this really dynamic narrative in the server where the story is written by the players and it's completely just free form and so every server you play in you're going to get a different narrative and you're going to get a different collection of characters and um, people end up getting very attached to the the world that exists inside the game and it becomes for a lot of people their whole social network and um, wow. which makes them very annoyed if i don't update the game correctly but <laughs> <laughs> totally um i'm not I don't really play much video games these days, but uh, a good one of my really good buddies does. He plays a, 
a game called DayZ, which is similar kind of principles, right? It's like a, a survival game. But, um, you know, the one interesting thing, I think Hurt World's a bit faster paced than, than DayZ. Yep. Yep. Uh, a bit more arcadey. Right. Um, Daisy's like super, super slow. You could go hours without seeing people. But mm-hmm. as a result of that, it's a really d- interesting new dynamic. Um, and I'm sure it's similar in, in Hurt World where it takes so long to get the equipment and the tools that you need to thrive that um, you can actually hold people hostage and stuff. Like you can actually, because people don't want to die. If they die, they, they're back to square one. And it's not just like a video, a normal video game back in like the Xbox PlayStation days where you die and you can just you get to where we, you were pretty quickly. It's dying in the games that has, uh, has weight. So you can, you can actually hold people hostage and get pretty sadistic with it. <laughs> Take them for walks, lock them in, lock them in cells, feed them human meat. It's pretty fucked. <laughs> yeah, we we added a feature recently that um, you can tie people up and tie them to stuff. And because yeah. we have physics-driven vehicles, you can you could tie you can hog tie someone, tie them to a bottom of a helicopter and then fly around, fly around smashing them into rocks and like drop them down in a prison. And uh, That's the best thing about um, Red Dead Redemption 2. I haven't played much of it, but yeah, you can just tie people up and just drag them on the back of your horse. And just, yeah. It's so brutal. <laughs> oh man, it's just like, yeah, far out. Um, does that, this might be like asking a deep question where there might not be, but uh creating a world seeing it being taken by a large audience because the game's pretty pretty damn successful um does that give you a different view on humanity i know everyone's a very different version of themselves of video game particularly mm. when the purpose is to just blow people apart with guns and steel and and do all that but did you do you get like you know that part of gaming is no yeah not a revelation but being someone who created the world, not really knowing how it will be adopted and seeing people develop their own narratives and cooperations and maybe gang wars and stuff. Has that given you uh, any interesting insight on human nature? Or is that is well, that just not really a necessary question? When No, it is. It is, but I think it needs to be taken with a grain of salt because the the people that are playing um, the game are a fairly like selected narrow pocket of, yeah. of humanity. Seasoned you, gamers. Usually yeah. fairly young boys who are very competitive with each other. And mm. um, yeah, it gets in, insanely toxic at times. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I think if you were to judge humanity by that lens, yeah, totally. it would be pretty dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It must be a spin out though, like seeing seeing your worlds, your landscapes uh, being inhabited, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, it's the best. Yeah. Like, for, for the way that I design things, like I, I'm not someone that wants to create an experience with someone. I want to I want to give them tools to create their own experience. Mm. It's the same with the particles. I I don't want to design what they're going to do. I want them to do something interesting that I can observe. Um, and so the more people make it their own and do stuff that I didn't intend is amazing. Mm. Like the build system is designed to create structures for your base and where you can live and secure your items. 
but quickly people figured out that they could like paint pictures in the sky with them as like giant billboards so mm. they would build these enormous like 50 story high scaffolds and <laughs> ha- and then pixel perfect draw like a picture of mario or chairman mao or someone in the sky <laughs> with like their catchphrase of their crew underneath it and they, they've claimed that server yeah and for someone to take it down they need to destroy their base so it's kind of like a fuck you to everybody else mm. um come get me yep and yep. so you go through these servers and like there's all these things that i didn't even intend and then to amplify that we built a modding framework which allows people to modify the game and add content to it that we didn't make wow so adding new guns new vehicles new construction pieces new clothing um and that's amazing seeing like little almost like new games emerge inside um some structures that we built yeah yeah that must be incredible uh what were you doing how does someone come to like you're you're pretty young how does someone make a game like what were you doing how did it come to be what were you doing before hurt world what led you to actually have the skills and think that you can even do such a thing (laughs) successfully um i'm i've always been a programmer i've uh, like i've been obsessed with programming since i was 12 or 13 Mm. um always been obsessed with gadgets and trying to figure out how stuff works um i was mostly a dud in school but i had my programming and i would i would get lost in that and by the time i got to graduating high school it was evident that programming was a pretty good career and um i learned to program because i wanted to understand how games worked and um always tinkered around with making my own little hobby projects but i also knew that the games industry was a pretty gross place that i didn't want to work in um how so like like a lot of creative industries you end up with a oversupply of young like passionate um, driven creative people and um, because it's a, a dream profession for a lot of people the companies that operate in that space often exploit the fact that most of those people would work for free even if they yeah like gotcha. c- just because they love what they're doing it's, it's pretty similar in sound and in um, film and mm. all sorts of things and um yeah, I just I didn't want to lose my love for it. I wanted to keep it as a as a hobby and so I would go and work for corporates on slightly less interesting um programming projects, but it allowed me to hone my skills as a software developer without losing my passion for the hobby projects. Mm. And it also allowed me to earn a good living that I could save up a bunch of money while I was working and then quit my job and then spend maybe 50% of my time working on not not having a job and working on a creative project. Um, the programming industry is pretty secure. I can go and get a job when I want. So I would spend a year or six months working for someone else and then six months working on a hobby project. And it was never a matter of thinking, I'm going to quit my job and invest all this money in a game because... I'm going to succeed as a game developer. It was, I want to be making games. Like I just want to have the fun of programming them. Mm. And I never really thought that I'd 
succeed, I'd, I'd be able to sell it to people and it would be able to, I'd be able to compete with like Ubisoft or something. But um, I just, just kept working on stuff that made money and then working on my hobby projects. And I did that enough times um, that things were starting to progress. I was mostly focused on making Hurt World from the start. And the last time that I went to quit my job at a corporate IT company, um, the owner who I had a good relationship with sort of said to me, oh, look, you're going to go make your silly little side project and you're going to fail eventually, but I don't want you to leave. So I'll hire some people to work on it with you so you can fail faster. And then you'll just come back and work for me because he knew I was loyal. He knew if I failed, I'd probably go, go back and work for him forever. So um, he hired four people to work on my dream project for a year and a half. At his expense? Yep. What a fucking legend. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, did, did, was that, was that, do you buy that explanation or was he really just kind of trying to act like, oh, you know, I know it'll fail, but he actually just really believed in you and was he, like... He's he, a bit of a gambler. He yeah. likes he likes he likes rolling the dice on a, on a on a new project. Yeah. Um, but I think for him it was a win win situation. Um, if I succeeded, uh, he mm. succeeds, and if I fail, he gets to keep me as a developer. And he had a hundred staff adding adding an extra four people onto the onto the payroll wasn't going to break his pockets. Fuck! He must have believed in you. He must have valued you a lot as well, just just for your contribution to his company. Um, that's, that's amazing. That's, I, can't, I can't thank him enough for that. So what did, so, so you, it, I guess that just shipped the massive shift of gears. Like what, what were the roles of these people that, that kind of came in? And yeah. Well, Cause this is a massive kick in the ass to say, um, you were working on a passion project. You didn't really care if it succeeded. And now you've got someone putting proper money on the line, mm. which was the, the gear shift that I needed to actually mm. focus on not the process anymore and focus on the outcome. Um, so we hired... Did he give you a deadline? Um, I mean, we we initially had a goal of 12 months. Yeah. But when we pushed that by another six months, he didn't stress me at all. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he knows nothing about games. Um, he he runs a software company. He knows software development, but he didn't, he didn't stand over me telling me how to do it. He gave me mm. complete creative freedom to hire everyone and to market and sell and develop and didn't pressure me when we were going over budget. And wow. It was absolutely amazing. That's, that is amazing. Big like respect to that individual. <laughs> and so I interrupted you. What, what were the, um, the people's roles like that you got on board that you were able to. Yeah. So we hired, um, hired, hired two 3d artists, um, an animator rigger, um, and a programmer, I think, as the initial crew. Um, we ended up hiring like one, one or two people would leave and then hire a couple more people um, over the space of development. But um, yeah, fair, fairly tight team. We, we, were, we were pretty pretty ambitious for the scale of the project. A lot of people were saying that it was unfeasible for that size. But it was like someone gives you that opportunity 
Mm. Like I was not going to sleep and yeah. not going to do anything else for the next five years until I made it work. Because like, if you if you squandered that opportunity, is like it's never going to happen again. So yeah, um, we were pretty scrappy, and I, had, I was super lucky that the people that I hired absolutely were on board, and we worked our asses off. But it was it was kind of all worth it. And then it took off. Yeah, I mean, fuck! How, how did that, how did that feel? Because I feel like with um, there's certain creative industries that uh, the gamble is higher. I mean, I'm an artist; I can make a painting. Sometimes it's received well, sometimes not. Uh, you know, less less so. Um, usually, a painting doesn't take more than a month. Uh, maybe maybe even like two 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 weeks to a month would be average, depending on scale. Uh, I often think about writers, though. Like a writer has to write an entire book before they can, you know, hope that people read it. You know, very, very more often than not, like there's no shortage of creative, incredible creative people out there. Uh, I, I, the stakes of writing a book, just, you know, a year or two putting into that and then no one fucking buys it. It's hard to get noticed, you know. It's hard It's hard to get traction with, with a lot of creative projects. Um, I imagine a game is just next level. I mean, are, are there many game developers that you, are, apart from obviously the big, the big dogs, are there many startup game developers th- out there? I mean, is that a common thing of people putting out games and then just kind of fizzling into nothing? Is that pretty common? Yeah, there's there's a lot of failures, but... In the time when we released, it was kind of the tail end of a golden era for indie developers Mm. where um, a bunch of stars had aligned to make it possible for small teams to be able to compete with the big dogs. Mm. Um, And those things were accessible, really good accessible engines that cost us almost nothing. When previously there would be like half a million dollar licenses just to use an engine. Um, marketing became really possible with the advent of content creators like YouTube and Twitch. And a lot of those sorts of people had enormous followings and they weren't really tapped by um, corporate like game developers yet to mm. say when we released... Um, Lyric, one of the biggest Twitch streamers, picked up the game and played it for a couple of days in front of 30,000 people. An, an enormous amount of them went out and bought it and then all the copycat Twitch streamers followed the big guy and then they're all playing it as well. Gotcha, um, yeah. A, a few years later, the big companies would pay someone like him a million dollars just to play a game for the first day. But mm. back then, they hadn't sort of cottoned on to how powerful it was for someone to do that, so they would do it for free. Yeah, and all that stuff would happen organically. It's a lot harder to do now, um, and it was the same with YouTubers. You had just like all of these budding YouTubers with like from between, anywhere between like twenty thousand to half a million um, subscribers, and when they put up a video, it's getting like a million views, and there's thirty of them being uploaded per day, and just created this enormous amount of traffic without us having to spend a cent on marketing wow um was that a bit of strategy on your on your behalf there that wasn't just fluke i plan like that was the only avenue i could see it happening via Mm. i didn't make it happen yeah 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 um 
but I could see other people were succeeding in that way and that was the best way to do it. Mm. But it was still an absolute fluke to even get the attention of those people. It was just like following following people on Twitter and spamming them and saying, check this yeah. out. And one person pick it, picked it up, did a little video on it. And then overnight, our subscribers went up 20,000 from like 200. Oh man, that feeling must be nothing better, right? <laughs> oh, we man. did it. We did it, guys. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> Do you have a moment where you woke up? You're like, holy fuck, it's, it's happening. This is it. Kind of. I wasn't really waking up because I wasn't going to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we were, we were doing the most cowboy releases, like writing so much code the night before release. Right. Putting out Just this delusional. massive distributed system to like thousands of servers and like writing code that we haven't tested mm. that any, any software development company would look at and be like, there's no way you can put that out. It's, we just didn't have the resources and we just punched it right up to the line and put something out and it was also the golden era of early access games where you could get away with a lot you could mm. put out something that was fairly broken but as long as you were like on the ground rapidly trying to fix the bugs on reddit communicating with the community um a lot of people kind of enjoyed that interaction of even though they're getting a, a, somewhat of a broken game um they also have they're involved a, a direct communication yeah. with the developer and they're able to give feedback on how it should be fixed and right um they feel a lot more connected to the game yeah that way uh, yeah i could imagine and it, and it also allows the game to be a lot more dynamically changing because if we if we needed to polish up releases and test them for weeks before putting anything out that means that goes both ways is if they want to fix it's going to take three weeks mm. to couple months before they even see anything whereas in this environment i'll write a bit of code and push it out within an hour and it might break but then i'll write another fix and then push that out half an hour later and then it'll be fine so you get this kind of like rapid mm. iteration process so it's pre pretty hands-on even after the game's released you're oh, still that's totally when, glued to the that's when it started yeah, yeah. right all right 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 so we, ne we never really had a time to take a step back and breathe and say well we did a thing yeah because it was way more people were playing it than we thought <laughs> and we were just putting out fires non-stop and trying right. to keep just trying not to fumble that opportunity of that many people are trying to play the game and if it's unstable for long enough they're going to quit and they're going to uninstall and refund it hmm. so just trying to keep the servers running keep the hackers out keep the ddos attacks on our servers out and it was like going to war at that point <laughs> and we weren't well rested we just grinded to release the thing in the first place so how how long of that were you until you're able to kind of take a step back and enjoy your life again oh till released in 2016 probably in the end of 2019 mm, mm. and COVID happened <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i had a one-way ticket to south america being like all right i'm finally gonna take a breather um, let's enjoy life up oh, the world's over and then, and then COVID <laughs> happened <laughs> fuck <laughs> which is about the time we uh we kind of reconnected because we went to school together yeah we did yeah yeah did gymnastics together that was awesome but <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah um far out I mean an another I mean massive congrat congratulations dude that is just a huge accomplishment um and then oh man I mean that in between periods of 
unwinding and unplugging from that world. Uh, I guess so much of your identity would be linked to this game. Uh, I mean, do you, do you ever feel like, wow, I've peaked, but then you actually give yourself time and now you've fucking done it again in a whole different way? That's incredible. <laughs> like, I mean, for most people, developing an ex- ex- like, exceptionally successful game would be, that's that's it that's it that's it <laughs> you know that's the top bit and now and now you're uh and now you're uh taking this incredible new project to main stages well stages of huge festivals some of the best international uh dance music techno artists playing in front of it um people are funding you i mean bang you did it again <laughs> amazing <laughs> It took a couple of years of doing nothing and just yeah reset right and it's it's quite a luxury to be able to just yeah like completely not think about being productive for a while and do you have just any like paying myself back a little bit of sleep mm. from that time and how I mean how important is I assume we say very but how important is the downtime in that period of ruminating on new ideas and re-stimulating yourself creatively and kind of trying to leave the old project behind you i mean did did you give yourself the pressure of how am i going to top that no no that no. would have crushed me yeah so i mean that, i think that's the the thing about what's what's great about how how you operate creatively is as you were putting a process driven not out not outcome not outcome driven just gravitating to the things that are piquing your interest not trying to create the next big thing right yeah i think that's a big i think man i even i i think i get caught in that trap a lot being very outcome driven really wanting to create the best possible outcome and uh but the the, the process is is where the magic lies isn't it yeah because like you need to get yourself in a dopamine loop that supports long-term growth and mm. it's hard to do that with when you're focused on outcomes no, you're totally right. Because you don't get any dopamine until you get an outcome. Whereas, if you if you really enjoy the process of what you're doing, every day is dopamine. Every time you make one little inch forward, is like fuck yeah, that's mm. that's what I'm here for. And if you have the resources to do that for long enough, I feel like if you're working on anything productive, and you re- you really enjoy every inch that you move forward you're going to get somewhere you're going to get into some place interesting and you, the time scales in which you can do that over where you can be continually growing can be years instead of like how long are you going to survive on outcome dopamine yeah. before you starve it'll be like a couple of months mm-hmm. and i think if it it doesn't even matter whether you, like if you have no idea where the outcome that you're heading towards is just continually growing will get you somewhere interesting yeah and it will likely be somewhere interesting that no one else is because you didn't quite know where you were going Mm. and then that makes it easier on the other end as well because you're not competing with people yeah oh man that's just given such a actual unexpected like re-spark of a reminder of what's important you know creatively it can be really Really easy to focus on that outcome. Fuck that. 
<laughs> you got to you got to do that sometimes. Sure. Yeah. You got to do both. Yeah, you got to do both. Yeah. You got to do both. The 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 outcome driven like you were saying once you got staff members and stuff and got people relying on you, you got you got to get that shit done. But Yeah. But yeah, no it's Yep, no, that's just got me thinking a lot. That's good. <laughs> um, like if, 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 I, if I never switched into outcome mode, I'd still probably be trying to write my own engine on Hurt World and mm. working in corporate jobs that I didn't want. And you know, I, I know a lot of electronic musicians or producers that probably are too stuck in process mode uh, where they... Man, I know quite a few. They've just got libraries of the most incredible half-finished songs that they never finish. And uh, all they need to do is release, you know, release those things, finish, tighten, them, tighten a few up. And it's just like this, is, this isn't this is like a travesty that this music isn't available for everyone to listen to. Um, yeah. That would probably be uh, the, the downside of being too process-driven, right? Just constantly trying to create a new loop, never finishing anything. And But yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, I'd love to also, while I've got you, I'd love to get your thoughts on um, this new AI revolution that we're going through. Um, mm. It's everyone's been playing on ChatGPT. Uh, I remember the first time um, I experienced Dali and Dali 2, um, I've only just started playing on Midjourney. I think Midjourney is better for, I think it's better for artistic outcomes, actually. Um, yeah. But now, I mean, now that ChatGPT is coming together, I think you you were the one that introduced, introduced it to me first. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool, chatbot, whatever. And then you just showed me like, cool, let's write a... Let's write a bio, an artistic bio for you. Let's write an application for a grant. Let's write a character reference. Uh, like we were playing with it. We were like making character references for, you know, make-believe person who's addicted to meth, committed <laughs> horrific crimes and is not remorseful. And it was doing a great job of, it's like, although not remorseful, we believe in the right conditions, this person would be perfect for the job. And it's like what, watching this thing do like just verbal gymnastics and it's incredible, incredible thing. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on all, on all of this stuff? One risk versus reward? Wonder versus fear. <laughs> oh, it's a it's an exciting time. It's there's a lot's going to change very very quickly. Mm. I think we're yeah. It's the the sort of the the spark has happened, and now everything's going to catch fire. Um, I think it's there's an enormous amount of risk for the way that we live currently. Um, I mean, there's change is inevitable in everything, but the, the speed of change that this is going to bring is going to be so fast that we'll probably end up in some weird places. Yeah, like this is just the beginning, really. I mean, I'm sure these things have been being worked on for a very long time. And there's been a lot of pretty crude versions, but it just seems overnight from the first Dali coming out to where we are now with chat gpt or whatever it's not long not not a long period of time at all yeah the, it, it surpassed what i thought was possible yeah well the the real the real 
change that's going to make everything go crazy is the fact that when it exceeds human ability because mm. it doesn't matter how how much you can scale a thing that is subhuman it's not really ever going to replace humans but once once something gets to a human ability um the, this idea that you could infinitely scale as long as you have the resources cognitive power that I'm concerned about the arms race of like who can build the fastest amount of teraflops of computing and who can harvest the most power so that they can do the most thought. Whereas previously you, you we sort of scaled with population for the most part. Like we would go through revolutions like industrial revolution which would amplify the power of a human but we'd still be somewhat bound to human population growth and you can't just print new humans hmm. but now we can print new the equivalents of print new humans or we're not quite there yet but i think it's going to get to that and probably exceeding human ability in a lot of cognitive ways very shortly and that's kind of like the last frontier that can't that hasn't been automated yet and once that's automatable, it's, I, I think it's a, an absolute dice roll where we're going to end up, who's going to control the power in that and um, and what that's going to mean for humanity and for the people that are left. Like what, what, what skills are going to be valued when computers can do almost everything for us? Yeah, yeah. What, what do you mean by exceed human ability? Because, um, you know, calculators exceed human ability and they're not new. Yeah, um, but the, the people that were doing math, like calculations on paper would have been replaced by calculators. Yeah. So, but now we have what's approaching a general intelligence mm. that all of the jobs that require general intelligence can be replaced, which is almost everything. Mm. And like, it's, it's already a better programmer than me. Right. It's, it's probably it's way faster at painting than you are mm. like whether whether it has the ability to be creative about those tasks to come up with the thing that is important to write it's probably not there yet but um or the, to come up with the thing to paint but i i don't think we're too far off that line being blurred as well that the all the building blocks are there for it to make a well-formed thought. Right, right. And I just, I, I think the, the only bottleneck now is to how to structure a machine to decide what to think about and to order its thoughts and have long chains of thoughts to come up with well-thought-out solutions to things. And yeah, that's one, once you have a, a machine that can act as an agent in our economy... There's someone working with GPT-4 to try to do that as, a, as an experiment at the moment, which is they gave GPT-4, which is the, the latest version of ChatGPT. Well, I was going to ask you about what GPT-4 is. Yeah, so it's currently in preview. If you have GPT+, Plus, you can get access to it. Um, but it's How does it it's a new language model that's um, an order of magnitude bigger than GPT-3 or GPT-3.5, which is what ChatGPT was built on. Hmm. Um, it's... Cognitive comparison, Chat ChatGPT could kind of just scrape through a bunch of exams as a failing student, 
Yeah. GPT-4 aces everything. It's past the bar. It like... So, fuck me. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, kids going to high school and uni now. Fuck. Why would... I mean, I, I, I read somewhere that they were having to restructure education systems and they can't really just issue... Uh, do an essay at home it'll have to be under supervision <laughs> yeah but even is there any point in learning how to write the essay now mm. like if if it's a skill that your calculator can do is there any point sitting and studying how to do it for years well to even test on it in the first place don't you think writing an essay would be essential in learning how to cohesively formulate thought like writing a book or something, not just, you know, we could, yeah. be, we could be at risk of just the, the only intellectuals out there are people like Twitch streamers and YouTube stars, whereas you know, there's no need to write books anymore and you could really lose. I mean, if, if, hum, if humans stop thinking, will, will that limit how far the, the, the artificial intelligence can can farm their information from. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're, you're right. If if we're not if we're not actively pursuing it, and we're relying on another entity to do the thinking for us, that other entity will keep getting better at thinking, and we'll keep getting worse. And I think that's probably going to happen no matter what. Mm. I don't think we can avoid that outcome. Right. When when we were talking about risk before. I, I I think about risk somewhat of a higher level in terms of um, um, complex life in the universe and the ability to think as being quite an important, like I would almost say human agnostic level like of importance, like a universal importance. If you look at the trajectory of the complexity evolution in our universe that sentient life is pretty great invention and as far as we know we're the only planet that has any of it um where these flesh bags that aren't quite aren't very good in space we're not good at traveling long distances living for a very long period of time transferring our consciousness around suck at all that stuff and we've kind of like on the cusp of creating something as a new child of ours which might not look like us but is has the opportunity to be the next evolution of sentient life on our planet and then would be really well suited to, to populating the universe with sentient life mm. that's almost working as to mitigate the risk that we wipe ourselves out as we're on this like really dangerous cusp of the technology to wipe out every sentient human, every sentient being in our observable universe is getting cheaper and cheaper and more and more accessible. Um, that all our eggs are still in one basket. If we don't kind of spread out in some way or create, create some more robust life that isn't so easy to wipe out with our current technology there's we're kind of continually flipping a coin that we might end up going to war and wiping ourselves out and um yeah it's it's a risk for 
us if you think about us as the be all and end all of sentient life but i think it's if we can create some kind of like imparted identity on the artificial intelligence that mimics us in some way i see it as being a productive offspring of humanity mm. i mean then we're kind of then you really are kind of living forever in a way or passing on the the bat baton in in one way but yeah i mean i kind of worry whether this might be the peak of our innovation people might actually slow down on innovating from this point on if they like you said if they don't have to yeah. there's an easier option people usually take the easier option is a uh not everyone a lot of people a lot of people a lot of very highly motivated people lean into the challenge um but a lot of major i feel like majority of people don't <laughs> yeah but that's that's already started right. regardless of whether there is something out there doing it better we i feel like people are getting like because there's no environmental pressure to have all this cognitive power to be, and to be able to achieve great things that you can survive not thinking very much mm. in our current landscape and most people a lot of people choose that with social media getting so good at sort of training people to be distracted from their lives and um i think that's kind of inevitable yeah i don't know i'd, I'd be really interested to try to fix that problem um Saw a quote from um, Yuval Noah Harari this morning saying, "For every dollar that we invest in AI research, we should um, invest the same amount in human cognitive research because we barely even understand ourselves, and we're creating these mm -hmm. this this other creature that we understand even less." Yeah, and. Yeah, the, the state of mental health in the world at the moment, I think, is pretty poor. Yeah. God, it's also... Uh, you would have seen The Animatrix, right? Oh, one of my favorite things. How good time. is The Animatrix? Yeah. But the, particularly that, um, I think it was a two-part episode where it was like the Chronicles. The second of, Renaissance part yeah, two. Yeah. yeah, exactly that. It's so reminiscent of that. Man, The as all this progresses more, I find myself thinking about that series more and more. I feel like it never really got the... You know that was that was great, the Animatrix. It was um, Matrix two, three, and four. Fucking pretty crap. I mean, two <laughs> and three weren't too bad. They're just action movies, though. But you know, the first one, how conceptually rich it was. Then um, the others were pretty just just action films. Whereas the Animatrix was every single episode. It was a different style of animation, a different exploring that concept from a different angle, from a humanity aspect, from a technical aspect, and it was just. Mm. Yeah, really find myself thinking of that series more and more with all these AI advancements. And um, yeah, I guess it's just a matter of time where these programs start cross-pollinating or merging together, right? Where the, the chat GPT technology will merge with the mid-journey DALI technology. And I'm sure there's going to be a music one eventually and... Uh, and then there's robotics that I've actually seen. There's like a 3D printer kind of robotic thing that will actually paint an image. So you could like feed paint in oil paint instead of print, printing <laughs> and it could probably do that. 
it's just a matter of uh, making those transportable and simple so they're not giant huge objects in rooms but it's all coming do, do you ever do you ever feel like these there are certain things that shouldn't be done it's like i mean like we, even with social media social media human like society would probably be a lot definitely be a lot better without it but at the same time i don't think banning it is right it's incredible. There's so many incredible things that come with social media, but also like the downside is, um, you know, pretty pretty catast- pretty terrible. Like mental health declines and these echo chambers people find themselves in, and um, you know, should social media never have happened? Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I think you could you kind of make that argument about a whole bunch of advances in human history yeah it just is i think when when you look back at things like um the the black death or something like that and you say all right well there was a point in which our science like evolved to a point where we could build antibiotics and protect ourselves from a certain thing that now all of these challenges that were like existential threats to humanity are easy to overcome hmm. um, and the continuous innovation and understanding of um, our environment and our ability to manipulate the environment continues to make massive existential threats of the past almost seem trivial and we have a whole bunch of existential threats that are going to hit us in the future Um, and it's hard to imagine many of them that are going to be worse off with us having more understanding of Mm. of the universe Um, and I think none of them should not happen I think we can tread a bit more carefully at times but I don't think we should ever not explore something it's just giving it enough time understanding ourselves well enough to be able to navigate the waters well mm. not not screw ourselves over there's there's been a few times when it's been a lit like pretty on the cusp like the manhattan project and stuff like that where we haven't quite figured out um global politics yet but mm, right um we could we have this power to wipe all of our population out and where it could have gone could have gone either way on a coin flip it's surprising that we when all those times have emerged so far that we're still thriving yeah 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 no you're right (laughs) yeah i mean that's the thing it's like uh, certain things just trying to think of what else could be you know is it best to be left alone you know the advancements of you know, nuclear weapons, for example, or, uh, you know, after coronavirus, there's all these talks about gain of function. Should this even be done? Like, is this, is this helping anyone gain, like gain of function research on viruses? Should, should that just be left alone? I mean, are certain things best to be left alone? Are certain things just best, like just leave that rock unturned and keep, keep walking down a different path? I don't know. Someone's going to unturn it. Mm. Well, I would rather it be the people at the peak of science and technology because those people work very, very hard and to be able to understand those things 
I think you probably need to have a level head on your shoulders and they're probably the, the custodians that I want to be holding that technology to move it into the future. Mm. That's something that's really inspiring about the artificial intelligence community is that a lot of these breakthroughs, almost everything that has happened is published in academic papers to a way that anyone can go and build their own version of it given enough processing power. And so far that's what's been happening when um, diffusion image generators started happening like Midjourney. Stable Diffusion um, came out as a fully open source project that can compete with it. And it's this like almost this discovery of fire technology that one company has exclusively for like a week. And then a week later, there is something you can download off GitHub for free and run it on your own computer and it works just as well. That the way that I think everyone understands that if one person has this technology, we are fucked. So the engineers that are working on it are all working really hard to share everything. It's what why OpenAI was founded was with the intention of building strong artificial intelligence fast, faster than other people so that they could manage giving like ethically sharing it with people. Mm. They haven't quite done what they said they were going to do by open sourcing everything. They kind of started off, I think, as a not-for-profit and then realized or changed it to profit to a limit um, and have since taken enormous amounts of investment from Microsoft and um but the research is still being open sourced and mm. an amazing project that happened recently in comparison to chat GPT is one of the ways that chat GPT was trained was OpenAI hired a bunch of writers to write 100,000 question and answer prompts in a way that they would want the AI to respond to train it. And that obviously cost an enormous amount to do that. And so even if you have the paper, you can't go and train your own model unless you have all that data and that data is theirs. So an open source community popped up um, uh, called like Open Assistant where they crowdsourced writing all of that more more, more like sample data than what OpenAI had for free, like a Stack Overflow kind of question answer system where you can rate other people's questions and rate other people's answers. And they crowdsourced enough data to train a, a chat GPT equivalent and all of that um, data sits in public domain. So anyone can now go and create a chat GPT equivalent and one company doesn't control it anymore. And that seems to keep happening with these advancements. And I think if, if the people at the cutting edge of technology are putting their hands up and going, no, we shouldn't touch this, this is too dangerous, someone somewhere is going to do it. Right. And that person might not be as open and, and part of, like the global community of of researchers and scientists that are that are worried about that, they might be someone that's trying to hoard that to themselves. And I'd yeah. much rather it be happening in this way because yeah. it's going to happen. Yeah, totally. Like someone like Kim Jong Un or something, if he had the right <laughs> control over the right geniuses, and then that's solely his technology. It's uh, yeah, problematic. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> very problematic but yeah yeah I, it's i mean i try my best to stay optimistic about it 
Uh, I'm usually more optimistic about it when I don't think too deeply about it, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I love using the programs. I love using Midjourney, Dali 2 and ChatGPT. I've already... Uh, ChatGPT has already come in handy so much of just like... <laughs> just at least getting the bare bones of a of a good email or a, or a, or an application or a, uh, something that you might need to fluff out a bit, mm-hmm. you know, um, I've only really used it pretty, pretty limited. I haven't really re- I relied on it, um, a huge amount cause I, yeah, but, um, but it's definitely proven to be pretty helpful, but yeah, I mean, the deeper I think about it, yeah, there's, there's a lot to be worried about. Um, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to, I think, the next episode or so of Lex Friedman is with the creator of OpenAI, I think, coming out. Sam, Sam Altman? I'm not sure. He just, it, it was, he tweeted that he was talking to, I can't remember the name, but head of, CEO of OpenAI, which is ChatGPT and Dali. Um, so I'd be very interested to hear that conversation. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, he holds a lot of power in his hands. Yeah, I know, to, right? To mess stuff up or do do good things. God, it'd, be so, it'd actually be the best thing, but also such a burden, right? I mean, people... Something that's such a game changer, like what OpenAI has done. And, and I know there's other companies and stuff, but there'd be a lot of people that might want to really shut that shit down as well there'd oh, be yeah. a lot of a lot of regressive thinkers or maybe maybe that's not the right term regressive thinkers but you know people who just don't think we need that and there's a good argument for it but uh yeah the plot of transcendence basically right 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 <laughs> yeah i forgot about that film with johnny Depp. yeah 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 <laughs> yeah totally that is so feasible mm. Like the the thought has crossed my mind to say like if if I wanted to stop this, well, like what what options do you have besides like going and blowing up OpenAI? And I reckon there's some unhinged people that are probably thinking we need to do that. Sure, sure. I mean, someone someone like him. Fast forward into the future, it'd be like those. I mean, what was that guy's name who came up with the atom bomb? You know, Oppenheimer. Is that Oppenheimer. It? Yeah. Oppenheimer. Yeah. Just these figures of historical significance i mean we're right in the middle of it right yeah we're right in the middle of it one, one i don't of think things, anyone can predict where it's going to go it's, it literally could be one of those moments where like if you could go back in time and and kill hitler would you do it as a baby is that moral is that <laughs> immoral <laughs> yeah i could totally imagine people i mean who knows which way the future will go yeah it might be the y2k bug mm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> We might build sentient AI and then it'll like give us all the answers of how to stabilize our political system and like, yeah, it's like maybe a little bit more cognitive power and all of the problems that we're having become trivial and an AI that can point us in the right direction might guide us towards stabilizing things rather than creating chaos. Right. Having the, uh, the human ego removed, uh, removed from decision-making. Yeah. Uh, it could be a, an objective, I mean, could you program morals? I mean, yeah, I suppose you could program morals. Just what's best for this outcome? Well, there's, there's a lot of people working really hard on alignment. That's called the alignment problem of how to align an artificial intelligence with our own values. 
Right. And the way ChatGPT works at the moment is it's a predictor of text. So if you tell it, you are a, you're like Matthew McConaughey, I want you to like write me a poem. It will write it as Matthew McConaughey. Really? It doesn't have its own identity. It can be anything because it's, it's trained in a way where it can predict anyone's text. So it's, it's this like, like multiple personality, like engine that will take on the personality that is best for answering the question in the way that it needs to be answered. Um, and to have to to train something to have a personality, you would need to train it only on one type of writing. Hmm. And to have enough writing to train an an intelligent AI like that is quite challenging because we we train ChatGPT on billions and billions of like tokens of text and you all that that's so like disparate from around the internet of different personalities and different ideals it will have this maybe it's going to be the perfect amalgamation of the human consciousness because it's just trained on all of humanity as opposed to being really biased towards like one specific personality but um that also includes quite like like it can get in some dodgy states and can emulate some quite questionable characters at times and yeah fuck <laughs> <laughs> so much to think about <laughs> yeah wow yeah i guess we just have to see what the future will hold with all that um we really are on the cusp i feel it's an exciting time to be alive yeah it, it really is particularly in, in particularly in this field um I don't know anything like I, I really don't understand it, but you know, just <clears throat> also just seeing how the like you're saying, write a poem out like Matthew McConaughey. It really is up to the creativity. Like these things can be as simple or as complex as as the uh, the user wants them to be. You know, finding out creative ways to use these to really stretch it into new weird ways i always feel very limited by like what am i gonna get to do <laughs> do my homework <laughs> but um but yeah anyway um spencer thank you so much for coming on this is always always so great to talk with you um so wonderful to kind of sink my teeth into the concepts behind your creative ideas and um you're a inspiration to us all, my friend. <laughs> oh, thanks for having me back on. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Yeah, of course, man. Of course. Um, what, what is coming up for... You need a name. You need a name for this new venture. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll... What, what Nani calls me, spencer.rose.art. <laughs> <laughs> is there any, any um, other big projects that you're going to be touring this... Um, uh, petri digital petri dish too any more festivals or art fairs or anything um going back into a bit of a development phase um cool. have a gig at sub club on the first of april um just doing some stage visuals there um studio launch the plasma lab studio launch in fitzroy on the 14th but um planning some bigger things but nothing's locked in yet cool Awesome. I like to leave enough space between things so I can come with something new the next time I do something big. Yeah, totally, totally. Not burn out. Yeah. <laughs> thanks so much, man. And thanks, everyone, for listening. 
Take care. Bye.